1: So when I was uh, getting ready to be a head coach, a guy named Reed, uh, Coach Reed from Montana, I believe his name was, I wrote his, I I used to read all kinds of books, and and it said if you block a punt nine out of ten times, you'll win that game, and I thought, okay, I'm not very smart here, but no other stat tells you nine out of ten times you can win that game, so I became a maniac about, I went to visit Frank Beamer, I went to visit uh, four or five NFL coaches about special teams and then i became a special teams coordinator at uh, notre dame and then uh when i went to bowling green you know that was our edge we one year we blocked nine punts and uh and then bowling Green. Uh, when i went to florida i used to call it the freak freak show is uh you couldn't run if you were in sub four four you could be on a punt return team I had, I had street fights uh not really but i mean i had joe <laughs> hayden jeff demps chris rainey you no, know, Deontay Thompson, Percy, all these kids wanted to be on Pump Block because they knew we were gonna go after someone. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky,
0: Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the
3: Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Welcome back, Lexi Sun. Man, I hope we get Texas again next season. Horns down.
2: <laughs> All right. That's a good one. Mac, what do you got? Well, I was going to talk about Lexi Sun. I didn't realize I missed that meeting. No big deal. I do want to remind the Redcasters out there that if you do have your own lawn, it's a good time to get a pre-emergent out there. <laughs> uh, maybe some sort of uh, three-in-one weed and feed. Uh, you got to prepare yourself for those hot days coming, guys. So uh, get something down early.
0: <laughs> well said, Mac. Well said. Also, the boomer.
4: I just don't like to announce we have some exciting news here on the podcast. Our dial's in the green, and we're back to 100% capacity.
0: (laughs) Four guys on the podcast. That's right. It's a full house here. Um, Nice intro there, Honk. That was uh, Chris Collinsworth, uh, who called a national championship game for Nebraska. I remember he spent most of the Miami game saying that we were too slow to, to beat the Hurricanes until we... We beat him in the fourth, but um, I digress. Uh, <laughs> but that was an interview he had with uh, Urban Meyer, sounds like, about special teams. Uh, it is the off season. We're talking special teams with Boomer tonight, so that will be fun. I'll be coming up a little bit later in the show. Um, but we are in season with baseball, so let's maybe start with baseball. We don't do that very often, but it's the time of year where it's coming down to the um, final few weeks of the regular season. Normally, we'd be talking about a Big Ten tournament, but another topic that we can uh, (laughs) dive into here. But we have got a big weekend for Nebraska baseball. Boomer, we are uh, heading to uh, Bloomington, I believe, to take on Indiana and Ohio State in a four-game pod between three teams. Same time, Michigan and Maryland are playing. Um, So really, we have the four top teams uh, plus Ohio State all mixing it up this weekend.
4: Yeah, that's correct. It's coming down to crunch time here in the in the conference with baseball. And, you know, again, there's not much room for error here. Um, you know, Big Ten didn't get a whole lot of love from the, the committee when it came to regionals. Uh, no host sites whatsoever. So you don't know how to read that, what they what they'd be thinking of how many Big Ten teams they might consider, you know, taking in the tournament. So. Safest play, just go out and win the conference and just kind of eliminate any doubt. Don't give them an opportunity to, to leave you out for some reason if you have a slump at the end of the year. So now you got to distance yourself from Indiana and that end of the season series of Michigan that's looming large.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, it is hard to, hard to tell where the committee is. There's been a, a bit of discussion about the softball selection last Sunday where only three Big Ten teams, I believe, made it in. No one hosting there at all. Michigan seem to be worthy of a host site. So that was a little bit surprising. Um, And obviously the softball has the conference only schedule just like the big 10 is challenging to put a lot into the RPI. I've been reading uh, stuff about that honky. Um, I don't know if you've seen those same articles questioning whether um, we may only get one bid because of the RPI.
3: Uh, Mm -hmm. Well, that was actually going to be my question to you guys is where are we at right now having, you know, played Northwestern twice and beating them last weekend.
0: Yeah, right. We, we, we beat Northwestern twice, 12-2 on Friday, had to come from behind on Saturday, and then the Sunday game gets canceled because Northwestern doesn't have any pitchers left, essentially. And our RPI right now is around 75 but, uh, you know, I, I kind of – I've answered those questions each time you've asked them to me, Honk, and I kind of regret it because <laughs> it, it doesn't allow me to emphasize how ridiculous talking about Big Ten RPIs right now really mm-hmm. are unless you want to somehow use them as a way to uh, determine the quality of the Big Ten teams against one another, right? Okay. that's all it's doing.
3: Well, let me rephrase it. This is the hypothetical. We don't know the answer to this. If we didn't have the disastrous Rutgers sweep – How different would our RPI right now be if we won two of three that weekend instead of getting swept?
0: We were probably on track to be in the 40s or 50s at worst, I I suppose. I mean, it definitely hurt us, Mm -hmm. um, no doubt. But again, and I guess this is where I was objecting to some of the articles I was reading about how the NCAA tournament committee is saying that they are still considering RPI when evaluating the Big Ten or any other uh, conference-only schedule. Or, and that includes the Big West, for example. There's other uh, conferences that did choose this, not as many as didn't. But I mean, even the ACC had played a reduced non-conference. But my point there is, is that if anybody is, is actually trying to compare the Big Ten and the top three or four teams out of the Big Ten to other schools and saying, oh, that RPI at 75 is horrible, they're not going to get in, or it's only deserving of a three-seed. It's, it's ridiculous because, I mean, Boomer, uh, you can walk through all the math on this, but the RPI is your winning per- percentage versus your opponent's winning percentage hmm. and then their opponent's winning percentage. Broken down, I think it's 25, 50, and, and 25 or something like that. And then they weigh, you know, weigh victories more than home victories, essentially. Um, well, if you're only playing all-conference games and everybody in the Big Ten has played everyone – the only differences here are that, you know, we played Rutgers in Iowa five times and and maybe Michigan only played them three times or something like that, right? It's a, it, there's slight variations on how many times you played a certain opponent. Um, and there's a variation on whether you played them home or away and if you won or not. But the RPI is doing nothing to compare you versus anybody else in the country. It's a worthless <laughs> metric. It's worthless. It doesn't do anything. Um, every Big Ten team has a, a strength of schedule of 266 non-conference because we didn't play any non-conference. <laughs> and so, like, anybody who's saying, like, we should be weighed down, especially the NCAA tournament committee, because we didn't play, um, uh, you know, that our RPI is at 75 or something, it, it, it's it's a worthless metric. It's ridiculous.
4: Yeah, it's like saying the, you know, Big Ten averaged, you know, 500 in in – conference play last year well yeah that's how that works you know it's an odd stat and again it just kind of speaks to the trouble that i think the conference caused big 10 baseball by not allowing any non-conference games even minimally would have been helpful you know even if it was just you know teams within a hundred mile you know a couple hundred mile radius of, of the schools or just You know, Mac teams or Missouri Valley teams, something like that, and you know, just if that metric is going to be used, then like Dave said, it's it's a garbage stat as far as the Big Ten is concerned. It's really hard to to use it as any means of comparison. So, Mm -hmm. I'll be interested to see what it is. You know, how the committee uses that if they do, if they'll even explain how they're using it in terms of judging the Big Ten. But you know, if 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 it is a you know if it is a metric they're going to consider it's it's not particularly helpful for the Big Ten or Nebraska. So so
3: let me ask. I mean, this is the question I think a lot of redcasters want to know. You know, we've been talking, and you guys have said this kind of since the beginning of the season that you felt pretty confident that the top three to four teams in the league, whoever they end up being by the end of the year, as it all kind of fishes out, is that we're going to that we are a three to four bid league, just period. Is there any concern that we might only be a two-bid league this this year?
0: I feel like the bottom is three. I think there's three teams that look pretty clearly in, um, mm-hmm. partly due to reputation, mm-hmm. um, but also that they're the top three teams in the league right now, and they've been up there now for well over a month, right? Mm-hmm. Michigan has been in and out of the, um, the polls, and obviously the last time we actually played a full college baseball season, played in the last game of the season, um, and uh, have a bit of the respect of the community that way. Indiana has been a perennial um, regional team, and, and really so has Nebraska, right? And we're mm-hmm. all up there. So I, I, f- I feel like if you stay in the top three, you're in pretty good shape. Um, and, in fact, with uh, both Baseball America and D1 uh, Baseball, the kind of two leading college baseball websites, we are all two seeds right now in the regionals. To point or the rest of the Big Ten, I mean, I, I believe Baseball America still has Iowa in as a three seed and Maryland just out, and I think maybe D one baseball is the opposite because now Maryland is in fourth place in the in the conference and Iowa slipped back a little bit. So, you know, I think there's a still a good shot on that we get four, uh, but I think if I was that fourth team, I'd be a little bit nervous on Selection Sunday. And you'd prefer to be in in that first or second spot because at that point I I would just be very confusing how you would not reward at least two teams into the Big Ten.
2: You know, at any rate, though, Dave, this baseball season has been a complete success, wouldn't you have to say? I'm like nobody really saw this coming. I'm like, regardless of you know one, two, three for Nebraska, for Nebraska, well, totally for Nebraska. I don't care about anybody else, you know. But like for, for the conference, I don't give a damn. I'm like, what has the conference done for us? My point is, Nebraska's had a really good year that nobody really saw coming. Am I am I right when I assess it that way?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say a couple. Some of the local uh, journalists, you know, they definitely were able to watch uh, some of the fall, okay, red white series, et cetera. They're like, yeah, this this team looks like it has potential. The thing is, there are so many new transfers came in, especially the uh, starting pitchers with you know you know Kate Povich and Chance Rock, and and you just didn't didn't know that much from those guys, right? And you had to have the young freshmen like Max Anderson or Bryce Matthews. So there's just a lot of unknowns. Um, and so anybody who hadn't been able to really see them, it was going to be hard to project, right? So outside of a few local journalists who thought they might be able to put something together, right. it, it's pretty. I and pretty some of that,
2: field. some of that based on a bit of a hunt or a feeling, but no real proof yeah. that that could happen. But then my, my next question would be, this year changes everything, right? Once you, once you start winning the expectations go up, but what are, what would be a realistic, how good are we going to be next year? I'm not trying to jump ahead, but I'm sure. just looking at, you know, I'm a, I'm a co- sort of a casual baseball fan. I'm a front runner, no doubt, but I mean, like it looks like to me that the bones of this team are pretty good. And a lot of them could be coming back. Am I wrong?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you're right. I mean, a, I think will bolt is a, an ACE recruiter. Yeah. Uh, he's very good at it. Um, and he's, he's selling, uh, an opportunity to build a program right now. You are going to probably lose Spencer Schwellenbach. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he is draft eligible. Um, I, I guess Cade Povich, I believe would also be draft eligible. I, Boomer, you might want to double check that. And I think he's on the, like, I've seen him on top 100 uh, best college prospects lists. So, um, you know, you could potentially lose your, your frontline Friday night guy. Um, but, uh. So you, you got to replace those guys, but I, I think Bolt's building this the right way. And, and you know, I mean, the the, the reality is Erstad had gone the last what, three of the last four years, mm-hmm. um, highly competitive in the regionals. He yeah. probably sh- could have won that last one if it wasn't for one darn pitch versus Oklahoma State. So, I mean, it was already heading in the right direction.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did no, none of the, the baseball success this year – to me, reflects very poorly on Erstead. I mean, it's just yeah. my opinion. I feel like he, he laid the, the foundation and, and let the next guy take over. And really, you know, he's done a really good job about that. Um, but, but with the success that they're having early with under the Will Bolt regime, that's got to pay dividends going forward. I'm like, everybody else, like Hoiberg and Frost, they, they're based <laughs> on the potential they've shown someplace else. You know, Bolts come in here and won right away here. I'm like, and, and as good as those guys have recruited Frost and, and Hoiberg, that's got to help Bolts recruiting. Well, if it's about recruiting, to Dave's point, you know, who's the freshman of the
3: week right now in the Big Ten? Who's the, the pitcher of the week this week in the Big Ten? It's guys that weren't playing last year for us. It was Max Anderson and I think Povich, right? And those two guys, I mean, that's instantaneous. When you well, talk, when Mac, when you talk about, you know, what were the expectations coming into this season – it's hard to project when those are guys that weren't playing for us and now they are and look at what they're doing. I mean, so they're, they were good recruits. They were good gets by bolt, but now they're they're showing up on the field too. It's not the hype of that four-star football guy that we'd get that, you know, didn't play and then transfers out. These guys are coming here. They were good recruits and now look, they're, they're performing and they're performing in year one in the program.
2: There's no reason for me as a casual Husker fan to know Max Anderson's name, except that sure. he's been producing and we've been winning. And like, now that's a name that I'm very much aware of. Sure. And he's just a freshman and he's not the only oh. Matthew. Bryce Matthews. He's yeah, another guy. I'm so... like, I, all of a sudden that guy, that name has been on my Twitter feed enough, or just in front of my Hi. eyes enough that I'm like, well, I need to pay attention to these dudes. They're, they're, they're raking right now. So I like to me, that alone is, is pretty exciting. And it's, it's fantastic to have a, a young coach or a new coach here, to have success early and really see what would happen if something like that happened, how, it, how a Husker men's any team could build on its own success and get better. Mm-hmm. Good Lord.
0: Yep. Yeah. And, and a lot of those guys are local, right? Yeah. I mean, with Max Anderson, who was committed to Texas A&M, uh, stays home. Povich is uh, down in a Juco in Arizona, never would have came back to Nebraska probably wasn't for mm. Bolt. So, um, you know, interesting side note on this, guys, is, you know, just how, how the coaching carousel happens is that, you know, a couple of years ago when Erstad suddenly makes his announcements, we did a rapid reaction on that. Remember that, dog? Mm-hmm. And we talked about Rob Childress and, you know, the chance of bringing Rob Childress back to Nebraska and he has property up here and all this type of stuff, right? And it didn't happen, but we get the next best thing, which is his number one assistant, Will Bolton. He's already proven to be a, a great hire. Right. Um a you know, obviously everybody lost last year for COVID, and they probably would have had a, a, a decent squad last year. But this year, they're really struggling. They're probably not even going to make the SEC tournament, let alone the NCAA tournament. And it, it seems to be the rumor out there is he is going to be let go uh, from Jeez. Texas A&M um so i mean maybe he can be a volunteer assistant next
3: year yeah if he could be a pitching coach again for us i think that would be great and speaking of the sec the namesake of our segment here around the van horn did you guys see the video of van horn dave van horn with arkansas against tennessee and i mean those are two top five teams playing each other arkansas won the game but uh, van horn i i just loved watching this he's just Screaming down the Tennessee head coach, who looks what like was that? he's it
2: was the head coach. yeah, the
3: head coach looks like he's twenty eight. I don't know who I, he I is. thought he was a
2: player. That's yeah, I coach. thought it was
3: a player. He looked that young. And he was wearing a mask, but Van Horn wasn't. And I re- I watched that. I was like, that's good. Good on good on Dave. I'm glad to see old Van Horn out there still yelling it down. So uh, it just made me proud.
0: Yeah, yeah. He doesn't do that very often, obviously. Um, But, yeah, obviously a a great competitor. Arkansas plays Florida this weekend. Florida was the preseason number one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of uh, have not met those expectations. Great offense, but they've struggled uh, pitching and and defending. So, interesting to see if Arkansas can uh, finish off an amazing SEC season and head into that SEC tournament um, as potentially the number one overall seed. You know, the SEC is having a tournament. ACC is having a tournament hockey, and it is going to be at full capacity. Um, We've heard today that uh, the College World Series is going to be full capacity. And, of course, the Big Ten is not even having a tournament.
3: Yeah, Boomer, how many people are going to be at the Big Ten tournament?
0: Uh, By my
3: last count, let me
0: double-check the numbers, updates, (laughs) 0.0. This is harkening back to, like, the 2009 Big Ten tournament. It was just like that, pretty much.
3: (laughs) Mr. Boomkowski, how many people will be there? Uh, 0.0. Anyway, Hawk,
0: I I, I am excited to see um, a full attendance at at, um, the College World Series. That's really exciting. Uh, Obviously, we got big news this uh, week or last week about Memorial Stadium with Mm -hmm. uh, Garth Brooks coming to town and 90,000 people are going to potentially be there in mid-August, right?
3: Yeah, it's huge for the state. It's huge for the city. It's huge for the university. And, you know, for all the talk, I I know we want to go back to to Mark, some fans, and freak out about the whole Oklahoma Mm -hmm. thing. But the whole idea was we wanted to get, you know, essentially eight big appearances in Memorial Stadium Mm -hmm the non-negotiable was we could never get rid of the Oklahoma game, but we needed to find a way to get an eighth game. That wasn't going to happen. Just the schedule wasn't going to allow it. But Garth Brooks essentially becomes the eighth game. 90,000 people are going to come to Memorial stadium where their tickets are being sold. There's money that's coming into the city. There's money coming into the, to the university for it. Um, There might be money. We don't know this for sure yet, but there might be money coming for something other than just Pepsi. And that's an interesting conversation there too, because, as far as I'm aware, I don't think they've had alcohol in Memorial Stadium for they didn't have it for like the uh, Larry the Cable Guy show. <laughs> 12. Wink, wink. Am I right? <laughs> well, <laughs> but
2: but they Even did. The red Cast alone is responsible for <laughs> at least a couple of. Those. But, but
3: they didn't have official alcohol sales. Right, right. Let's just oh, okay. say that I, I don't think they had it for um, Farm Aid. Although again, I talked to somebody that uh, was yeah. a journalist back then. And he's like, "Well, there were things going on different backstage.
2: Crop. Yeah. yeah, that <laughs> was
3: '87 too. Yeah, yeah, really good. There were different, but that's the thing." Does this open us up for other options? So, all of us—we're mid '90s, you know, college yeah, guys. Yeah, talk about
2: living in the '90s. Bringing Garth Brooks in Memorial Stadium, <laughs> you yeah. know, Iowa fans are going to have a field day.
4: Well, with for that. ticket, well, they, I'm holding out for Chris Gaines to show up. So. Hey, yeah. well,
3: Iowa fans can buy the tickets Love for ninety four, ninety five. You know, since that represents a couple of our national titles, if they'd like, I don't care. But you know, we're mid '90s guys, and if you remember back in the day, guilty. We couldn't get a lot of good concerts to come here because our facilities stunk. I mean, you know, Pershing and Civic Auditorium, we weren't going to bring big audiences. But Iowa State and Jack Trice Stadium back in the day, they used to get like Metallica, Madonna, and like big acts that wouldn't come here. They'd go to Jack Trice State Stadium, which was, not a, was nothing special either, but it was just 50,000 seats that they could hold a big concert. Imagine if we're willing to open things up to alcohol, over the off season, and we're willing to have ninety thousand people in there. Like I think we're going to get for Garth or eighty five or eighty, whatever. It's going to be a big concert. Boy, that opens things up a lot. Where we could have a, yeah, I'm saying this in quotation marks. We could have an eighth home game every single year. We could have a ninth home game every single year if we wanted to, you know, hold one or two of these over the summer. And uh, the alcohol, is a, it's a big part of this, I, especially for concerts. And Garth has never done a concert that doesn't have alcohol. So that's why we bring this mm, up right an now. That's
2: interesting stat. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know? <laughs> I mean, I, I think... Well, I'm not playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm out of here. I mean, to, <laughs> to your
0: point there, Hockey, though, I mean, if the university and the athletic department is sincere about the idea that they needed a eighth home game to help the, the local economy and the downtown bars and restaurants – they should be open to having a concert or two uh, at Memorial Stadium on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. because that is essentially the equivalent of having another um, large home game in Memorial Stadium.
3: Sure. Well, I mean, think about it. A couple of years ago, Garth came to Lincoln and did like what? Six shows at PBA. And when you sell that out at 15,000 people, if you do six Simple math: six times fifteen thousand, and you're at ninety thousand. Now, all we're doing is cutting out the middleman; just doing one concert for ninety thousand people. Like I said, this thing's going to go fast. I think it would sell at ninety thousand tomorrow, but in a couple of months, it's even going to be further into. We're in the green now, as Boomer alluded to at the beginning. Uh, you know, we're just now barely getting to the point where I walked into a, a restaurant today for lunch and didn't have a mask on. I had one with me, and I'm I, I will for the next couple months. And if I need to put a mask on where I'm at, I will. But by by the time that we're in August and yeah. Garth Brooks is here, I think we're going to be as a country, as a society, I think we're going to be kind of used to a post-mask setting. Some people will still wear them. That's fine too. I mean, it's going to be a lot of that, but people are going to be comfortable be- starting to get into that setting. And it's huge because if we get 90,000 people for Garth, then there's no reason a couple weeks later that we aren't expecting 90,000 for Fordham and Buffalo and down the line.
2: Well, for one, we've talked about this. And just because Casey's serves pizza doesn't make it a restaurant. So <laughs> I, we need to be clear about that. But you it know, wasn't Casey's. <laughs> I just
3: want wanted to be very clear. Okay,
2: there. whatever. Cabrellos, <laughs> whatever. I don't, it's, it doesn't matter. It's coming. Here. But does the... Announcement of this concert and the, and the fact that we got Fordham moved up, does any of that sort of soften the, the blow of the, the talk of the Oklahoma game being moved or canceled? Does it validate oh. what, what the leadership said they were trying to do? I, I mean, because it does look like they were actively now trying to get a, a, some type of event early in the season, early in the year for, mm. for Lincoln and otherwise. I, I see where you're coming with that. And I'm just curious, like, obviously, this is a result of probably COVID, right? Yeah. Just the fact that the concert's happening at, at all. But does it also kind of maybe go, well, maybe they really were looking outside the box to try to find some revenue streams? I never questioned, me personally, I never questioned that to begin with. I think they were going
3: to try to find every revenue stream you could. And that's only natural after having the last kind of year that they did where, mm-hmm. where no matter no matter as much as they did, furloughs and, and everything possible, you still are you know missing tens of millions of dollars. So I I don't doubt any of that. Mm-hmm. They've in my book, and I, I'm gonna say this, and there's gonna be a number of redcasters that immediately you know roll their eyes and probably turn the show off, but they validated everything the second they just came out and gave that the announcement on that Friday saying we're playing them. It, they might have taken five hours to say it, but when they said we're playing them, they played them. And I get what they're trying to do with the, with the finances. I certainly get it with the uh, with the recruiting. And to your point, Mac, everything, they have validated that by moving Fordham in there. There's your recruiting. There's your extra early home game. That removes the whole need to fly back from, you know, Dublin, which we're not doing anymore. And mm-hmm. so all of that's taken care of. And then this game, there's your extra home game. There's your extra fill this up. Concert, the, yeah. yeah, this concert. Yeah, this concert. This is going to fill up. Uh, lincoln hotels it's going to bring money into the downtown and to the university and all that it's a great day i wasn't expecting it but that was awesome
2: to see and it was one of those events too that very rarely everybody in lincoln was talking about the garth brooks concert are you going to try to get tickets you hear garth brooks is coming to Mm -hmm. town like it's a pretty big deal and the fact that it's a memorial stadium is a really big deal Mm -hmm. and i'm kind of on board with you i mean Maybe COVID opened some doors in terms of like, we need to look at different ways to generate revenue. Maybe that's what opens the door to alcohol sales, but either way, like mostly I just want to, I just want us to be able to back away from Nebraska was scared to play Oklahoma. Yes. That narrative. It's hard for me to swallow. Uh, proud I Husker never.
3: Fan. That's the thing. I never felt that ever. But as we talk about Memorial stadium, Dave, I'm going to direct this question to you, Tom Chattel We've had him on the show here before and we should probably talk with him. We really should. We should. He had a great article here in the last week or so, and it was talking about Memorial stadium again. And we've had this discussion before, but talking about student section, talking about, you know, how do we reconfigure things or would you reconfigure things? And when we look at that grand old stadium there on on 10th street, I mean, what, what would you do? I guess, if you were Bill Moose and you had that unlimited budget with all these Garth Burke concerts coming in, what (laughs) would you do with Memorial stadium to change things around capacity student section all that what are some of your thoughts
0: yeah yeah like you know if he actually uh, if we get extra money if we let thunder rolls become the intro song <laughs> or something like that right uh <laughs> is that a part Wouldn't of the be deal? great <laughs> 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 yeah you know I, it was a really interesting uh, article there by chattel and then uh, boy a lot of this uh local sports radio have talked about this from simple and Gary Sharp, and Bishop, everybody's like, oh, I have, all, you know, I have all these ideas and it's like, it's really intriguing to me to, that just the the angst that people have about like the ex- game day experience in the stadium um, that some people think the stadium's too big. Um, it's hard to get out of, obviously, especially in the mm-hmm. south end zone. Everybody knows the south end zone is hard to get in and out of. And people are worried about the sellout streak and there's a lot of people who are like, stop worrying about the sellout streak, blah, blah, blah. The idea of, of doing anything drastic is just ridiculous. Um, but um, honky, you you've brought up the South Stadium particular many times in the mm-hmm. sense that that you could potentially rebuild that. And I think you could do that in, in I don't know about one off season, but maybe mm-hmm. um, missing one actual football season, you know two off seasons to, to rebuild the South End zone. We know that t- Texas A&M and many other stadiums have been drastically rebuilt in a very short amount of times and have resulted in much better mm-hmm. uh, seating arrangements and concourses and those type of things. So it seems like that would be a logical solution, right?
3: I was an architect major for one semester and I stayed at the yeah. Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> um, there's probably ways that, if you were gonna do something major with the South Stadium, there are probably ways where you could be doing a lot of footing and, and underneath work one year while you're still, you know, having people sitting work in, in the, the, the stands. on the facade for
0: a while. Yeah, work for on the facade, facad. <laughs> make the facade
3: nice. Uh, that's a long story. We'll tell you someday, Redcasters. But the idea, the non-negotiable when it comes to the stadium right now is the South Stadium needs updating. And needs updating that, first off, you have a concourse that goes around a horseshoe of the west, north, and the east sides, but doesn't come to the south. So our buddy Jack was at the spring game, Mac, wanted to meet up with us. And because he was sitting in the South Stadium, wasn't allowed into our side only because he was in the South Stadium, which is treated like its own separate entity he couldn't walk around now if he'd have been in the west he'd have been able to walk all the way to where we were you know and just meet up with us it does sound insane but it goes beyond that it's if you were sitting up in row 90 those are not good seats if you are somebody that's had tickets for a long time decades you might not be wanting to walk up that far right so the idea is the south side is something that could be redone and redone Mm -hmm. in a grand fashion i think of the end zones at Arkansas and Virginia Tech, a number of them that have been, you know, redone where they have triple decks to them. And obviously you would connect a concourse on the south yeah. side to the concourse that goes around the other three. Um, so now you have that nice flow. Texas, Texas is perfect with that, right? That's
0: right. <laughs> um, they rebuilt but, that end zone like three times. <laughs> but
3: the other thing is that if you did kind of a triple decker kind of thing, you'd bring extra money in because we're going to be having more suites, that's important. But that first deck, essentially, the first 35 rows of the entire South Side, you could make that a student section. That student section could be, you know, whatever that number you want to be. You want it to be 10,000, 12,000 seats, whatever it is. And those students can stand up the whole time. They can cheer. They can be as loud as they want. They can be right off the field. They can be disruptive. And there is no, for the lack of a better way of saying it, blue hairs standing right behind them. Because the next thing above them would be a concourse. And then, you know, up 20 feet would be the, the next row of suites. And then there'd be a second deck and a third deck. But you could have an entire student section that is down on the field yeah. and actually being a, a problem for teams that were playing. That's the the idea that I guess I would have if you were going to rebuild that south side. The other thing is, you know, I, I love looking at the capacity and seeing 90,000. I really do. I think it's a it, – if there's a proud – there's like pride in me where I'm like, yeah, we sold 90,000. Sure. But the reality is if we were at, if, if we rebuilt that South side, made it a more functional South side, you know, even maybe was louder because of, you know, echoes and how you could have it built a little better, you know, a little more vertical and keep the, the noise in there. If you rebuilt it and it ended up being an 82 to 85,000 seat stadium, that's not the worst thing either. Because, you know, I remember back in college, we'd be selling it out for 75,000 seats. Yeah. And we'd have a 15,000 person backlog, you know, it was, it, it was yeah, 15,000 sure. deep. Right. And now we're, Oh my gosh, what's wrong with Nebraska? We, we can't, you know, we're so close to not selling out. Yeah. Math. You know, We used to sell out 75,000. We had 15,000 in the backlog and now we have a 90,000 seat stadium. Mm-hmm. You know, the, that's where the seats have gone. It's not just that interest has gone away and I get it interest. I understand we haven't been winning like we did 20 years ago, but Which still
0: solve a lot of, of that exactly uh, you know, I mean, you,
3: you think about it we've added a pinnacle bank arena to memorial stadium in the time since we've
2: graduated i mean that it, it, that's that was nuts. probably an that's error. how much different that was probably an error and an error in, in doing that and i do think if you're going to revamp the south stadium mm-hmm. one of the things you probably absolutely need to do is reduce capacity right Pre- because because some of those seats up there are unwatchable anyway those yeah. are the worst seats it's- in the house are in the south stadium so so let's stop pretending and let's get some good seats in there i mean Like it or not, the game day experience has to be improved at Memorial Stadium Mm -hmm. to entertain these young fans. And when we talk about young fans in the student section, and and I'm all for the student section getting great seats and everything like that. But they are probably the most fickle group of all of Memorial Stadium. If we're not going to win, they're not going to show up. So you want the blue hairs there that are donating and giving those the money and, and showing up. So like the student section to me wherever you want to put them, make the South stadium a little dynamic, do something different about that. And we make fun of the uterus in Texas, but something along those lines to make it unique. And and then you could have party decks or stadiums. Yeah. Like a a blackboard, like a boneyard or something kind of cool that you could do over there. There's a, there's a lot of stuff we could do. We need to limit capacity to make that a hot ticket again, because we, we built that stadium up when we were winning titles and conference championships. And we have yet to been able to sustain that. And and if we continue winning at the clip, no issues, right? We'll sell out 90,000. It's just really hard in a state with the population that we have to maintain a 90,000 seat stadium during some lean years. That's just a tough call. And that's just a reality of it. I think there's, there's potential to do something with that South stadium that would be unique to us. We could, I'm sure there's a lot of creative people that can go grassroots and make that cool,
3: And there's nothing wrong. Making a horseshoe again. There's nothing wrong with having demand on. If we were an eighty-four thousand seat stadium, Dave, I think we could look up a number of other programs out there that would fall in the blue blood category. Oklahoma Stadium. We have a higher capacity than Oklahoma does. You know, the Swamp. I think
2: is in the mid eighties. You know, I
0: mean Notre
3: Dame's right at eighty thousand, I believe.
0: Yeah, so that's
2: where our wheelhouse needs to be. Right at eighty whatever architecture you can do to increase crowd noise in that stadium do that you know yes. like take out the south stadium and make it in a, in a way that traps sound well, and it makes it an advantage for i them.
0: mean i think hockey's approach here is is more reasonable than some of the other things i've heard i mean like like simple on his sh- radio show he's like bring it down to seventy two thousand, and uh i think it was Gary Sharp was like, let's build a new one on the oh, on the innovation That's campus, insane. right? I mean, like very extreme <laughs> takes there where I'm like, yeah, I think, you, you know, if we start winning, it's not going to be as big of a deal. And it's just the actual need of a better um, ability to get in and out of the South stadium yep. and the max points. The seats are horrible up there on the, on the top rows anyway. Um, it just would make things a, a, a lot better for everyone.
3: Yeah. The concourses allow people to come in any gate they want so you don't have those huge build up at individual gates. And people on the northwest and east have enjoyed that already for the last 15 or so years. That part's big. And then the other thing is building ways to get people up and vertical. We we sat yeah. on the 600 level on the east side and it was super easy. I took my eight-year-old son up a couple of escalators and we were up there. That's what you'd want on the south. On the north side, they're talking about there's different ways they're trying to do that with uh, the new north facility, which, by the way, is just starting to get worked on. I took some photos mm-hmm. today when I was on campus. You know, They've taken down the columns. I don't know where the columns are going to go yet. And we've had a number of questions about that. I just know that, you know, look, folks, they're not going away. They'll go somewhere else, but right now they've taken those down. I think they're injecting
2: them straight into <laughs> to Nash
3: Mockers <Huttmacher's> thighs. <laughs> I think that's where they're going. I mean, that would bust the column. Yeah. So um, <laughs> and they and as of today, they were starting to take like the bleachers out of the yeah. track area. I even went up on the innovation campus and I saw that they had kind of graded the whole area where the track is going to be, which is just that's to straight. the west of the the ice box. So, you know, we're starting to see progress, which is great. That's part of the you know the the construction there was an article i think i read maybe it was world herald that uh, talked about how moose likes to build things and he went back to his oregon days and he he just threw some rock down just so that he could try to you know convince phil knight to give him a couple million it worked and they they built some indoor facility at the time but we'll do whatever we can take right now let's you know it's it's fun to see this stuff start to go up I, it, there's going to be some construction now yeah yeah
2: it's time and uh, we need to we need to address it it needs to get going it needs to be like a lot of things since Moose has been here. It needs to be less words and more action. It needs to be, I want to see it and I want I want it to be tangible and just like I want those 8 to 9 wins this year to be a reality. Let's stop talking. I don't give well, you know I don't really give a damn. Like make the stadium do whatever you got to do. Win games. Like I don't <laughs> care. Everything listen, everything we have right now if we won 10 11 games is fine. It just, you know, we're 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 looking for solutions. We're looking for answers, and I'm all about it. You know, grind and dig and make it happen. But at the end of the day, I don't really care. Yeah, show well, me, Mac, put a product on the field.
0: Let's start talking football then. Oh right? yeah, man. Um, yeah.
2: Uh,
0: we do have uh, you know, maybe some wanna talk about the transfer report a little bit, honky. I think yeah. there was a really good article in Hell Varsity this week. Uh, Greg Smith was talking about um Kind of mitigating attrition and and mm-hmm. all those type of things, right? I mean, we've had a lot of people coming out, and we've been able to solve that by getting transfers in for the wide receiver uh, core, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we did have a, a transfer out, and we talked about this a little bit last week that we were thinking maybe the running backs might stick around until um, fall ball, but Mac ultimately, Ronald Tompkins decided he was he's ready to go.
2: Yeah, it kind of surprised me a little bit that he was the first one to pull the trigger on that. Um, And, you know, Dave, you and I talked about it maybe a show or two ago, just like the further we get from spring ball, the less likely we feel like it's going to be these guys are going to transfer. But lo and behold, he does. You know, it's, it's just kind of a bummer because he was kind of like a Braylon herd, you know, like a guy you really wanted to get on campus, a guy that you're mm-hmm. kind of rooting for because of different, different reasons, knee injuries with this guy and all the potential and where he comes from. Um, but there's a couple ways to look at it. One that he's leaving and, and he just couldn't make it work. Or he might go to a lower level and, and see what he can do there. Or two, he saw the writing on the wall and doesn't think he's going to have a real chance to contribute this year because of guys that we currently have on the, on the team. Now, being the Redcast Mac version of myself that I am, I'm leaning that way. You know, I'm leaning that way going, well, geez, uh, Gabe Irvin's pretty legit. I don't like my chances with him. Scott's throwing it down, and he's he's consistent. He's healthy. He's available. Step whenever he's ready to go is going to be a gamer. And Morrison just got his jersey retired in high school because he's an all-out baller. So maybe that's why yeah. Tompkins leaves. Where, who, where he goes will be interesting. Yeah, it will
3: be. I'll say the same thing with him that I said about, you know, Nance and Houston and anyone else that's left. I I would always wish him the best and particularly in Thompson's case with the injuries and everything that that kid has gone through. I absolutely wish the best. I will also say, go back and listen to the last month and a half of shows. And almost every time I've said, I think that we're going to have some running backs leave now to your point last week, Dave, which I think was a very fair point where you're like, I, maybe those seven, and I was including Yant in that list, those seven, I'll call them seven scholarship running backs, maybe they all think they had an opportunity still to start, and so they're all going to stick around to fall. And that that seemed very legitimate. At the same token, now we've lost one of them. I still don't think – I wouldn't be shocked to see one more leave. Even. I wouldn't either. But it, it, it all depends on what they feel is their opportunity. And also, I don't know what discussions they're having with their position coaches, a lot of times you do post you know, spring interviews and stuff. Right, exactly. And just literally, there could be position coaches mm-hmm. telling their players, not just at running back, any position where they're like, yeah, you know, if you're looking, this isn't a bad time. Maybe it's not yeah. a bad time for it because right now this I'll just shoot you straight. I have you here on the depth chart and that's post spring. So come back and fall and earn your way up or, right. but, but I'm shooting you straight. This is where you're sitting at right now. And that might be enough for some guys to leave and that's okay.
2: Well, and ideally that is, that is why he left, right? Maybe because he had a conversation with Held or coach Frost and they said, Hey, this is where we have you slotted. This is the amount of work you're going to have to do to get to here mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And that's why he decides to leave. So let's say that's what happened. Does that, make you think that we're even going to sniff the transfer portal for, uh, for a running back. I'm like, what are the odds of us replacing Ronald Tompkins, a guy who's been with us for, you know, two and a half years now and, and seemingly healthy, right? Like he, he wasn't hurt. This isn't the reason he's leaving is because he was hurt. He was available. Like, do you think we're going to go get a running back now that to, to like, I, I imagine the reason that Ronald left is because he saw that it's a pretty steep climb to get to the top.
3: I can still see it going down to five in the fall. But to be honest, I I don't really want to see it go below that. If I'm just looking at body types, I really am excited about this idea of having a healthy step Mm -hmm. and yant two big big-bodied backs. I mean, I, I love the idea of getting into goal line situations and having 500 pounds of running back in the backfield. And the other thing is when I look at Yant, like I'm not asking Yant to be a thousand yard rusher. Mm-hmm. What I want Yant to be able to do is be in good enough shape and be, you know, be ready to go to be maybe that kind of specific skill back. Like you're going to be a, a goal line short yardage guy. Okay. Because here's the thing: I don't know that we have a thousand yard back, but I can look at this team and I can see oh a three thousand yard year. Well, what's three thousand yards? That's two hundred fifty yards a game. I can see that out of this team. I mm-hmm. really can but it's probably going to be a committee thing but what we've talked about all the time is we want that committee to be mostly running backs mm. supplemented by martinez supplemented by nixon and brown and and sure. you know bets you know doing sure. some things out of the backfield from the wide receiver right. position that's how we want to get to 250 right. but i can absolutely see 250 again
2: do do you view his departure how do you view his departure you think it's a positive because it for him to leave and say I have a better chance going someplace else and playing mm-hmm. almost concedes the fact that I think Step's going to come back healthy. And I think Morrison's going to be a contributor. You know, because the, it, it has to, it has to assume some of that, right? Because well, otherwise, why would he leave if you thought, well, Steph's not going to be ready to go come fall? And if it yeah. isn't step, then it's completely wide well, open,
3: right? To, to your point, we talked about what we want to see as competition. I just think there's just too many guys in there. That there's just not a lot of division one FBS. Power five teams that have seven running backs on on staff. And that's where I'm like, it only makes sense that at some point it's going to filter its way out. It's not necessarily who's seventh or sixth. Yeah. It might be the guys who feel like they are. And and whoever right. is the first one to make that jump, maybe that makes it that much easier for the guy who maybe is fifth or sixth. Maybe he doesn't leave right now because he's well, like, Well, my job just got a, a little lot easier. bit easier, a little bit easier. One less guy taking reps. But Dave mentioned it last week. And it's like, we're still going to start fall camp. And if it's six guys, cool, then we have six guys. But they're still going to go through a couple of weeks of practice. And at some point, I still think it's going to
2: filter out. Too- it surprised me on a couple levels. And, and most of the levels that surprised me on is, is what kind of running back did I envision him being right now? I don't sure. know because he didn't play enough to necessarily say, but I do know he was right around six foot and he was probably right around 205 to 215, right? And mm-hmm. that's the kind of prototypical – number one guy body type that I, I had imagined. Whereas if you're talking about like a Ramir who's a little bit smaller, a little bit leaner, maybe more of a, a specialty guy, like, you know, a guy you try to get in space, mm-hmm. a guy, a guy you kind of throw to out of the backfield. Like to me, that was the guy that seemed more on the chopping block in terms of wanting to leave and go someplace. So for, for Tompkins to do it. And if he's, if he's healthy and if he's looking at looking around at this, is running back room and going, I just don't feel like the opportunity is here for me to excel. That's That should say something. Now, I'm, I'm presuming yeah. that that's why he chose to leave. And I don't know that. But yeah. let's say that is why he chose to leave. And that's what what that should be telling you is that this room has got a lot of talent in it. And I don't necessarily, necessarily want to have to climb this mm-hmm. mountain just to get some play time. I,
3: I, I've made it clear that I really want to see Yant and step around. I want those big body backs for short yardage and, and combinations that we can do. Um, we've made it clear as a group that we think that Scott and Irvin certainly showed well during spring ball. That's four right there. Mac, you've made it clear that Morrison has, you know, certainly the the accolades that he has coming from high school and, you know, beating Spencer Tillman's records and all that, that's great. And Ramir Johnson brings a lot of speed and a little bit of a different body type because he
2: can well, do – Kind of he's on his own at this point. He, he almost uh,
3: – on his own where he could almost be even a duck a Huskar kind of role that, you know, we like sure. to call it. So,
2: Hey, by the way, I just want to throw an impromptu poll out there because we, my nephew Tony was in, kind of turned us on to the Huskar position. He was talking this week with me about another position and it's on the defensive side of the ball where like say a, a Jojo Doman or maybe a, a hybrid, a team, hybrid position. He's yeah. calling it the crossbone linebacker, <laughs> the cross. <Crossbone. laughs> So uh, I mean, we we should probably throw a poll out there, see if we want to start calling it the crossbone, the cross, you know, something like that. I'm just trying to engage well, you, Redcaster. Since
3: we're taking questions from the uh, <laughs> from, from <laughs> yeah. Redcast Nation, I have a question for you guys, and this came from John Buck last week after we posted our last week's show. It was on Twitter. And he said, you know, we talked a lot last week about, you know, some of the advantages of all these uh, super – seniors that were coming back for us and, and saying that that was a big deal for us. But he, he kind of said, you know, with all the excitement over the team returning experience due to the COVID-19 ineligibility change, are we simply hyping the reality of all FBS rosters? He basically says, won't every opponent have the same advantage? So, you know, Dave, we've talked about how having Stilly and Honus and all those guys back, I mean, it's going to help us. But doesn't every school have the same opportunity? Are we making a big deal out of nothing because everyone has the same advantage?
0: Well, I mean, I think every single team is going to be slightly different. I mean, everybody has the same opportunity, but every situation's different, right? I mean, like Alabama, for example. How many Alabama players went to the, in the draft, right? I mean, I don't know how many guys stick around at some of these, you know, top tier teams right mm-hmm. so I don't know if Alabama is raving about their super seniors right now right <laughs> um, they're fine with their super sophomores probably and then you you probably have other programs that just simply didn't keep as many or maybe they're dispersed differently on their rosters opposed to Nebraska where we have a lot of returning starters on the defensive side and then boomer I think uh, you mentioned like I mean Illinois our first opponent has was 19 um there's other programs that have huge numbers even higher than nebraska it's just a matter of where they dispersed and are they actually already starters i mean maybe they're just you know guys that are, are hanging around another year and they have been uh reserved so
4: yeah it kind of just depends again like dave said on the, on the specific situation uh you know some teams are barely returning any of their production from last season like northwestern i think they're somewhere in the thirties for both offense and defense returning on production last year. And, you know, teams like Ohio state, they're not returning a whole lot of production either, but you know, for a team like Ohio state, does it matter? You've got so much talent, you know, they can just replace. Some teams have an awful lot of, you know, returning talent coming back like conference wise. I think Maryland's returning over 80% of their production on both sides of the ball. So if you want to talk experience, they've got it, but you know, that raises the question, are these players any good to start with if they, you know, if they were terrible last year, great. They're terrible. They may be terrible again this year. What are you really getting? It's just another year of terrible key players. So <laughs> that's right. You know, it, it depends where you're starting at that. But, you know, the, the Big Ten is does have quite a few players returning. Most of them seem to have about 60, 70, 80%, you know, mm-hmm. returning on both sides of the ball. You know, Minnesota is pretty similar, 75 and 84% offense and defense. You know, Illinois was, like Dave mentioned, has quite a bit. So you're going to see a lot of it, I think, in, in the conference. And to your point there,
3: Boomer. What I do think if I was going to say something unique about Nebraska was that the significant amount of them, in fact, well, all of them are coming back on the defense to the fact that we have like 18 of our top 20 tacklers back from a year ago. And six of these guys are either super seniors or Cam Taylor Britt, who technically isn't a super senior, but he certainly is someone that came back where Mm -hmm. he could have gone pro. That's the thing that makes it unique for us right now is that we have so much on that one side of the ball, um, it's also the thing that I guess is giving a lot of people, you know, Pepto-Bismol heartache that on the offensive side, there's all this talent, but it's all this unproven talent. We talked about last week, Dave, the, all the starting receivers that we're going to have. They are guys that are two, three years out of high school, but they've never played for us basically other than, you know, Martin with right. a couple of catches. But, you know, well, what do I know about Torrey or what do I really know about Manning? Right. They're experienced older guys, but, uh, you know, we haven't seen them. Well, in defense, that's not the issue. We've seen all these guys. I mean, there is talent on top of talent now in defense, and those super seniors, that COVID extra year of eligibility has allowed us to keep guys around. Ben Stilley is a great example of that. I mean, we could have had a really good D-line this year without Ben Stilley, but having him, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. You know, we could have had a really good – potential, you know, outside linebacker core without JoJo Doman, but I'll take him. I'm so glad we have him, you know, and that's kind of, you go position by position, and that's where we're at, and you look at that secondary and, goodness gracious, we we got everyone back. All
0: right, all right. Well, hey, I've got another um, mailbag question, Honky. It's from, uh, let's see here, Uh, Mikey B. He's asking, (laughs) when is Boomer going to talk about special teams? I've been waiting for this for three weeks.
3: (laughs) Well, Let's ask the question that we talked about a little bit earlier with running back, and I think we're going to get to it in this, is that uh, the transfer portal, what would be some positions of need? So here's the thing. Every time we lose someone in the transfer portal, and that's that's bad, but it opens up positions to bring new people in, and that's good. Let's <laughs> talk about what are some of those positions that we we could benefit from from bringing in sure. and I think Boomer's going to get a chance to uh, transition us into some of his uh, special teams discussion by the end of this but let's start with guys that are not special teams first Dave I think you were saying it before we started recording that you listened to somebody say if you could have a great out you know pass rusher or a cover corner what would you get and this coach said cover corner and one of the things that we hear a lot right now is that if we could get one other great cover corner, that would be the the transfer portal we, guy we would go after. Uh, well, first off, what were you listening to when you said that? And then, uh, you know, is that what we would want right now if we could use one of our spots?
0: Yeah, I believe that was Gary Sharp uh, okay. in, in uh, this afternoon's show where he, he, he was quoting some other um, interview as an NFL coach that you know emphasize that there's greater value in that shutdown corner than it is to have the the pass rush
3: well and why did he say that because what you said was made a lot of sense when you were telling us before we started recording well you
0: you can uh generate a pass rush you can scheme that right you can Mm -hmm. blitzes and you know um, Mm -hmm. twists and all those type of things you can make that happen it was actually an interview he was having with um scott shanley actually okay um it was not too far from uh, uh um, Saint Edward? There, yeah, yeah, he's from Saint Edward, and they were just talking about that, and the, and the coach was like, you know, but if you can have a shutdown corner, you can add cornerbacks that uh, make that quarterback hold on to the ball longer. You can do so much more, right? And if you don't have a good secondary, they're going to pick you apart, right? So you'd rather have the strong secondary and and get creative on generating the pass rush, which. In this instance, I mean, if you have CTB and somebody else, whether that's on the roster, and I think there could be, obviously, we like those guys, or uh, an addition to the secondary through Mm -hmm. the transfer market, um, you might have – and, Hockey, you mentioned Joe Dodoman is a great cover guy in that position in the – Crossbone position, is that right?
3: (laughs) The
2: the crossbone, yes,
3: that's That's right. (laughs) I mean, Dave, you think about that. You're welcome, Tony. You know what Doman did last year covering Rondell Moore, and I mean, blanketed him. And to your point there, if you have great coverage on somebody and it forces quarterbacks to even have an extra half second in the pocket because of the coverage that assists your pass rush. Right. I kind of compare our pass rush on defense to our running game on offense right now, which is, you know, I said, Hey, we can get 3000 yards on offense Mm -hmm. running, but it's going to have to be a committee approach. I don't think we have that one guy. I think we can be a good pass rush defense, but it's going to have to be a committee approach. I don't think we have that one Randy Gregory, who's going to get, you know, 12 sacks or 10 sacks by himself. I just don't see that. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, Side note, Scott Shanley is related to my brother-in-law, and that's totally a Nebraska thing, right? I mean, just everyone's related. Everybody's to everyone.
2: related to somebody.
3: Dave is related to, to Coach Frost. You know, so, that's I mean, right. we are all related to somebody. I somehow. worked
2: with Scott Shanley's sister-in-law at <laughs> Granite City. She was a barber. <laughs> and she married Andrew. So, so well, there, there you go, right? <laughs> well,
3: I, I mean, I think DB is certainly a spot. I also think, and maybe, Boomer, you, you might have some thoughts on this, but special teams – doesn't get the time as we have obviously on on our own show, we have pushed it from week to week, but how important would it be just to get something like a kickoff specialist? We've talked about Kellen Meyer, the incoming freshman from Ord, the walk-on who's kicked a 58-yard field goal. We know he has a big leg, but Boomer, if you knew, I don't know who this would be right now, but there is some kicker magically out there that kicks 80% of the kickoffs into the end zone for touchbacks. Is that enough value to offer one of those precious transfer portal positions to? And if yes, why? What's so significant about having someone that can do something like that?
4: Yeah, that's a good question. It really just kind of depends on how you can handle the kickoffs themselves. Um, If you can kick it out of the end zone, that eliminates the opportunity for returns and better field position. You know, it just takes that off the page or are you good enough on your kickoff return coverage where that's not an issue for you? So you have to be one or the other. And we Mm -hmm. haven't been particularly great at either of them. You know, we have, we've been terrible at touchbacks (laughs) and we're not very good at defending, you know, the return. So, you know, we're a dual threat there in that case. Um, You know, I was just kind of looking at some of the numbers that you look at uh, just looking at the playoff teams from last year, like uh, surprisingly, most of them are like Alabama, Ohio state, Notre Dame. They're not really very good at touchbacks. They're all 20% they're about to 27% for Notre Dame on touchbacks. But they're really good at eliminating the kickoff returns. They're holding people to 18 yards or fewer on their returns. Clemson's the opposite. They're about giving up 22 yards of return, but they average just under 80% of their kicks or touchbacks. So those oh, sorts wow. of things, you know, you pick one or the other. Um, yeah. And I think it was a, was a McKeewen wrote an article, you know, kind of talking about, you know, the importance of touchbacks on that. And, uh, you know, mentioning Kellen Meyer, you know, being able That's to right. kick 58 yards. You know, I, I dug into some of those stats a little deeper to consistently kick into the end zone. You know, if you, you want half your kicks to be touchbacks, you've got to be kicking almost 60 yards plus uh, to get to that 80% number honky. hockey. You've got to be average about 64, 65 yards a kick or kickoff. So, okay. It's, it's a big leg. I don't know how much more distance kickers add you know during their career at college. I would be kind of a curious stat from an incoming kicker to, to when they leave to see if they if their average distance increases. I, I honestly don't know. That'd be kind of a yeah, a fascinating number to find out.
3: I'm curious, like, you know, is that like a war daddy up thing? Can you, like, build a guy's leg so big? Or just one gotta... big leg? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just just one big back. leg. Yeah, just We just, just need one giant big leg. leg. Yeah, Fit, yeah I To go know. from That's... 55 to 65
2: yards, you know, over the course yeah. of your five years here.
3: That seems, that seems like reasonable. a big jump.
2: That seems pretty reasonable to me. It's, it, the ball doesn't move. <laughs> you, you kick it as hard as you can. Nobody's chasing you. You got all the time in the world. I just, there's, there should be no reason, you know, go to the transfer portal thing. You want to talk about a guarantee. My guess is if you found a guy in his college career that could kick the ball out of the end zone consistently, that is far more of a guarantee than trying to find a cover corner. That was really good in Juco or somebody like that. You thought could jump up to the big 10 level.
3: Well, I guess, boomer, yeah. this is the question I have to you. You are our special teams coordinator here on the RedCast? Should we value special teams? specialists, do they warrant a transfer portal offer when you only maybe have two or three to get? Just another
4: way to look at it is it takes one, another thing off the plate for this staff. You know, they haven't been all that great at managing special teams. They get confused, you know, sometimes, well, what was it, a Rutgers game? Somehow they messed up Kicking off to, oh, they, the they kick off the guy. Yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, somehow they, they screwed that up on the sideline. you know, this staff <laughs> yeah. hasn't shown themselves to be great special teams managers. And if you can just solve that problem by just eliminating by kicking it out of bounds every time, or excuse me, into the end zone every time for a touchback, hey, that's one less thing they have to worry about. They can focus more on better play calling or whatever it is. Eliminate variables like that. If you can take that out, simplify everything. Go ahead and do that. You know, that's on kickoffs. We've talked ad nauseum, you know, as Husker fans about the importance of a great field goal kicker, how important that is. We've seen seasons where we don't have that. If you have a guaranteed place kicker in the portal, hey, there's no reason you don't take that, too. So, yeah, it it eliminates variables and it gives you opportunities that you otherwise don't have. And it's probably a position that you can really make that huge impact with. You know, mm-hmm. it's a person you can bring in if they're great. You know, they can play right away. It's it's not going to take a whole lot of time to build them into a system or anything like that. You're kicking the ball. I mean, yeah. it doesn't really <laughs>
2: change from team. Yeah, teams. probably one one of the more easily evaluated positions out there. The kicker, wouldn't you think? I mean, yeah, in I terms of far. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but, like yeah.
4: you kick it far, you kick the it accurately, you are pretty
2: high. Can yeah, you do those things? That's what
4: you
3: need. Yep. Yeah. It still drives me crazy. Like Jordan Condon was like ranked by far like the number one kicker in the country the year that we got him. It was like he came here and he wasn't kicking it any further than anyone else. And eventually walk-ons like, you know, Alex Henry came out of it. You know, you can be a walk-on, you can be a, you can be a scholarship guy. It doesn't matter. I mean, just at the end of the day, do you have a big leg or
2: not? And that doesn't usually well, take very long for guys to yeah. figure out if they do or not. Yeah, however you need to get there whatever get there that's the that's more the inexcusable part i'm like i don't care if it was a walk-on or you burned a scholarship on the dude i don't care (laughs) just make sure that that guy can kick it where you tell him to on a consistent basis whatever that takes do that transfer portal fine you know the scholarship guy fine walk-on fine i don't care what you can't be in is year four and wondering if you have a guy that can consistently boot it where you want to I mean, that's the amazing thing. Two years ago, we had six or seven kickers and none
3: of them could make field goals. And it was just, I mean, I could be on the team and not kick it that far. I'm like, that's not the thing. One of the most bizarre kicking seasons two years ago, but now it does feel like it's starting to kind of get a little bit more normalized. But the one thing I would even say walking out of spring, I still felt that we were missing was that kickoff (laughs) special. I would agree. And that's why um, this discussion I think is still important. Um, We had a couple other questions come in that were specific to special teams Uh, Boomer, I'll start with you on this one. This is from our good buddy, Chaz in SoCal. And by the way, just before I even ask this question, I just want to mention something. I want to give a little bit of plug for him. Anyone that's out there that follows Chaz, I mean, you know the great work that he does with video breakdowns and questions and everything. He does a great job. Uh, He has started up, it's a Chaz XEX series Uh, he's doing on chas and socal.substack.com you can sign up for like email updates Mm -hmm. and we just got one tonight and he did a great thing on offensive line uh, experience breakdown I'm not going to get deep into it because it takes more time than what I can we can give to it right now Um, but uh, follow him there uh, and follow that uh, series that he's doing but he asked a question here about special teams and he said, what needs to change in order for special teams to become dangerous in the kickoff return game and shut down in the kickoff defense game? Now, Boomer, I'm directing that to you, and we kind of know the answer to the second part already. The kickoff defense game, a lot of it begins with if you can kick the ball in the end zone and they never return one to begin with. That's There's a start, but uh, let's just assume we don't get that 80% you know, kicker that Clemson has that's kicking nothing but touchbacks. Let's say we get someone that gets 50% touchbacks. How do you help shut down the other 50% that actually get returned? What is the things that we need to do is it putting x amount of starters on the field or the speed we you know Urban Meyer talked about if you're not 4-4 you're not going to be on certain special team units like what would you do to prevent you know those long returns? Yeah, it's kind of a combination of
4: that. You've got to put talented people out there. It can't be just that side of the ball where you just throw people out there, kind of like position some of us played in high school or you know junior high. You know, you don't <laughs> play special teams because that way you, you know your parents can see you on the field once. You know, those sorts of things. You've got to put talented players out there. Are we going to be able to field an entire kickoff team of all four four speed and under? I don't know. It depends if our roster has all that available mm-hmm. and are able to play. So you've got to put your best people out there that you can and hopefully they've been addressing it this off season, the way they've talked, they need to practice this more. They need to make it a focus. They need to go through the the actual drills of doing it. Uh, You've got to teach these players to stay in their lanes. Don't, you know, don't break down from that. You know, there's reasons those lanes exist. You know, you've got to make sure the kickers know where they're supposed to be kicking it. Yeah. Boomer,
3: wasn't that the issue there with the crankshaft return? I don't know his name, but the guy from Rutgers. It's I mean, Cookshanks. it's Hermione <laughs> but, Granger's cat. But, but, but to your point, that was like <laughs> it was like we kicked it to a guy. We kicked it to a spot. It wasn't just a, it wasn't an accident we kicked it to a spot where it's like all the coaches are like, why did we kick it there? We weren't prepared for that,
4: you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've just you've got to practice this, and you have to make it a focus. I mean, it, we probably have the players to make it better, I think, on the staff, or mm-hmm. on the roster, but they've just got to find them and put them out there.
2: Let's just suppose the Nebraska's special teams on all facets, kickoff, kick return, punt, punt return, field goal, field goal block. Let's just say they are, what was it last week, average? Well, let's just say they're average. If they're average, and that's assuming we've been below average, does that equate to a win or does it just keep us in other games and a chance to win? Is it enough to be average to have one more victory or do we need to be exceptional to at least count on one more victory? based And,
3: And to be quantitative about this, let's just call average like 50th in the country on special teams on every single category, kickoff, punt, punt return, kickoff return. Like let's just call it 50th.
4: Yeah, that's a good question there, Mac. I, I've been kind of diving into some of those numbers as well. Um, Football Outsiders does a lot of good breakdowns on special teams and, and comes up with some, you know, algorithms they have for that. Uh, you know, one of the ones they use, they they look at kind of the uh, they give them the special teams rating and then try to adjust it for what impact that has on a on a team's chances to to score, you know, per possession, you know, during a game, during a neutral site game. Um, You know, like I have 2019's numbers in front of me since that was kind of a fuller season. You know, great special teams teams. I was always consistently at the top of these lists. Uh, they usually get about uh, 0.13 extra points just from special teams advantage, you know, per possession per game. So that adds up a lot over the course Jeez, of these, how many possessions, possessions are there a game. Yeah, I mean, what is it, 20-some-odd possessions a game for both teams? So, you know, in a game, that's a whole point or so. Just shifted just by special teams, things like that. So... You know, and if you scan down that list of the, the top teams, very few of them, you know, have losing records. You know, you see the Penn States in there the Memphises of you know, 2019 are in there. And even if you get to the averages, like Honky was saying, the 50s, that's still you're just about breaking even, if not still slightly better than zero points a difference. So that's kind of that break even point if you're just average. If you're below average, that's where it's costing you. And that's going to add up over the season. You're going to lose games. Mm-hmm. And Nebraska was pretty lousy at that, that that season. 2019, we had a negative .07 is what that contributed. We were hundred and twelfth in our special teams efficiency in 2019. That's, that's not good. That's going to cost you games, and we know it did. So just even being average, it just would eliminate a huge deficit we're putting ourselves into during a game. So if you can be average, that helps. If you can be great, you know, I don't think anyone looks at Iowa and says, boy, these guys are outstanding on offense. They're dazzling to watch their defenses, you know. <laughs> shut down no and they're okay. sure yeah they're, they're they're a decent team everyone's a, you know they're, they're okay but i think little things like special teams help put them over the top on the season so yeah it, it probably is worth a win or two over over the course of a season and mm-hmm. like the the quote mentioned um, at the beginning of the show you block a punt, the so attend to win games and I mean, that's that happened crazy. last year yeah we blocked a punt against purdue And they all said that kind of set the tone for that game, you know, put us on the right path
2: on that. Are there any exceptions to the rule? Like I'm sure there are probably a few, but there are, when you were looking through this were any outliners outliers for this, where you're like, well, that's a really good team. And they're pretty, they're actually pretty awful at special teams. Or is it pretty consistent that your better teams are usually pretty good at special teams?
4: It's generally pretty consistent. Uh, You'll have
2: some of the weird, you know, like max squads and
4: things like that, that are just terrible. Um, in odd outliers like Navy, uh, they're a lousy at special teams, but they're an odd team anyway, you know, mm-hmm. kind of the way they play yeah. ball. They can put a good record together just mm-hmm. based on what they are. But for the most part, yeah, it's the power five schools. You're going to, if you're good at special teams, you're tend to have a winning record. There aren't mm-hmm. a whole lot of outliers. On well, it, and so. Boomer,
3: you've mentioned it. Like we joke about Alabama's kickers typically terrible, right. right? But when you go aside from that, when you look at who they put on their kickoff and their punt teams, like you mentioned having starters and having good players out there and urban Meyer mentioned about, you know, sub four, four guys. I mean, the starting cornerbacks for Alabama are the guys that are gunners running down the field. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're going to put great players out there and I don't expect you to have these answers now this could be a discussion for a future show, but like I'm curious where Nebraska was then during our glory years, during the '90s, during you know during the Osborne era, where you know he certainly put a high value on special teams. Well, what did that equate to? And that's something again we don't have to discuss tonight. Uh, but the value of it, we all know it. I know we've put it off the last couple of weeks as we've talked about offense and defense, and I'm glad we had this chance tonight to really talk about special teams. But uh, it is important. We had one other question that came in, and this was from Kel, the coach. And he talked about how Cam Taylor Britt was obviously the most trusted guy to field punts last year. Who takes the reins this year? Uh, Dave, I'm going to start with you. You know, Cam Taylor – well, first off, do we agree with that? Was Cam Taylor Britt the most, you know, uh, trusted guy? I mean, he had the one fumbled return, I think, against Iowa. But, uh, you know, who becomes the most dangerous – Returner for us, you know. I guess, or who takes the reins this year? Is it Cam Taylor Britt? Would you put your star cornerback back there? Do you have any other names that come to mind? Well, I mean, I think you have to have a all
0: hands on deck mentality here and Mm -hmm. have some of your best players contribute. And if that's CTB, and I know he took that fumble in the Iowa game hard, and Mm -hmm. I think he you wanted to be held accountable for that. He did make some plays earlier in that game and other games yep. at, and the return Great position point. that made a difference. Um, so I think if he was given that role, I think he would probably embrace it. And so I like that idea to, to say, Hey, I, we, that's our guy. Um, but otherwise, I mean, there's, there's gotta be other guys out there that, that want to prove themselves and make a mark. Um, and y- you know um, we have all the performance testing out there. Yes. Well, this weekend, uh, is it Phelan Sanford, right? This, yes, like walk on from yep. like Binkleman who like tests out of this world, right? Mac, I mean, maybe that guy should be out there.
2: Fantastic athlete, fantastic mullet, fantastic <laughs> farmer, rancher. I mean, he he's he reeks of Nebraska. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> and it, it I don't know if you guys were paying attention on Twitter, but they're off week, like you had him rounding up calves you had you had okay, jurgens drop that, yeah. stepping on a, on a full-size you know mare, and then you had you know who was turkey hunting i think nash was turkey hunting and then and yeah. then adrian started a podcast this week these guys are incredibly busy on <laughs> in their weeks, so they put us all to shame but but i'm with dave and i think you know depending on how the season goes there's just something in the back of my mind that says they're going to be thrusting cam taylor Britt into the forefront of the of the program this year and if we come out and we start winning some games And he's having a pretty good season just to kind of get his name in the conversation. I just see him being utilized that way. Kick returns, punt returns. However, I think the offense, there's, there's even been some like foreshadowing of of FCTB playing offense. So I think it will be him.
3: Well, this is the thing with having Bill Bush being involved right now from an analyst perspective. And I, I know he's played a role in some of the depth chart stuff. They talked about how he's been doing things in spring ball depth chart wise that we hadn't had done prior Plus, of course, yeah. you have Dawson now handling this from a, a coordinator role. But think about some of the guys that have transferred out. And whether they – I have no idea what McCaffrey will do at Louisville. I have no idea what Wando would do at Kentucky. I have no idea what Fleming will do at Maryland. No idea. I just know they did nothing for us in the special teams at all. No. All the talent in the world – all the special player, you know, things that they did in the high school level, blah, 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 tons of speed, all that. They did nothing here on special teams. For all the talk of Wandell being the next Rondell Moore, Rondell Moore made a difference in special teams for Purdue. Wandell did nothing for us in special teams. No. And I'm not, I, I'm not knocking Wandell there because I don't know if he had the chance or not the chance. I have no idea. I wasn't in any of those meetings. Right now, you put your talented guys out there the urban Meyer approach. Yeah. You're going to put your, your best players out there for the roles. And, and that doesn't mean that every single starter goes out there. You can't do that either. You want young guys to get opportunities to play, but if, whether that means Sanford, a kid like that, a walk-on is returning a punt or you're putting your all American potential guy in camp Taylor Britt out there, whatever it is, we've got to get guys out there that can make plays you have to have schemes out there that are opening you know sure. lanes you need to know what you're doing we can know we can no longer afford to be kicking off the crankshaft and having returns <laughs> we can no longer <laughs> afford to have Illinois kickers that you can time on a calendar faking a pun on you right. you can't you just those are things that are no longer acceptable in year four.
2: Well if you if you're going to if you're going to make a statement about how serious you're taking the special teams, I would say, putting a guy like Cam Taylor Britt back there to return punts is about as serious as you can be. Short of putting Adrian Martinez back there to well, return punts,
3: yeah, it's as serious as Alabama putting their starting well, cornerbacks out there. Why? Yeah, you know, they would, can play. Do you remember Tommy Frazier was returning punts in the I, one spring game because there was
2: consideration about getting them out there to give them more of a? I, I was on the field that year
3: yeah. as a. I was trying to be out, you know, be a manager on the team. This is my senior year in high school, and it was the spring going into the 95 season and I'm on the field.
2: Yeah, I uh,
3: you can actually see photos of the spring game in 94, 95, whatever that would be. We just previously won the national title and I'm standing behind Osborne. Cause I was holding the of course. Of you were, of course I were. I got <laughs> a, a training order hadn't kicked what? in yet, so. <laughs> but what actually, no one was sadder. Than me when Honky didn't <laughs> well, make the manager job because I was so excited. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> picked the wrong fraternity, whatever. I don't care. But <laughs> but since you brought it up, I have to say it. One of the cool things was being on the field. It was me and another guy that were trying out for this thing. And and um, my job was to hand the ball to Aaron Graham, our starting center, All-American center. And he was the deep snapper. Okay, We didn't have mm. some deep snapper specialists. It was our starting center. Snapped the ball to Jesse Cush. Who punts the ball? And to your point, Mac, Tommy Frazier was one of the returners, one of the three or four returners that were practicing punt returns that particular mm-hmm. spring. And they're trying to prepare him to, to give him some pro yeah,
1: you know views. Yeah, so he wasn't going to
3: be a pro quarterback, but maybe he could do something else. Anyways, Frazier catches. Well, they all catch a punt and then they kind of run about a 10-yard return and then they kind of throw a ball to one of us managers, and then we turn around and give it to <laughs> give it to Graham. And Frazier catches this ball. And he makes a couple of jukes with, you know, no one on him. And then he stops for a second. I'm like, oh my God, he's looking at me. Tommy Frazier is going to throw me a pass. And that guy wound up through the worst ball I've ever, I mean, it was like, it was way over, And I reached my two hands up to the, my left side mm-hmm. and I just snagged it out of the air. And this was a really bad throw. You I caught love the ball. And at that moment, I caught the
2: ball. And at that moment, you realized how every tight end that played with Tommy Frazier fell. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I love Tommy Frazier. I think he's one of the best. I mean, he's literally one of the best called oh, quarterbacks absolutely. of all time. No doubt. no doubt. And yet I caught that ball, and he looked at me and he kind of gave me like a, like a, yeah, good catch thing. And And I'm like, wow, that was a bad pass. Like, but you are an amazing quarterback.
2: That's a great really good quarterback. That guy was going to lead us to a national championship. Yep, right? you were I
3: mean, leading us to a national champion next, championship next season. And you name. are really not good thrower. <laughs> he just,
2: he wasn't that wasn't his But camp. he was a great quarterback.
3: Great, unbelievable
2: quarterback, unbelievable leader. Yeah, special teams are important. Cam Taylor. Brick, teams are Cam Taylor Britt can return kicks and punts. I have no issue with that. Yes, all hands on deck. You put Cam Taylor Britt back there. That says, well, we're being serious about this from the from the moment we step on the field. I bet CTB can throw the ball too. Dave, they, they, they've alluded to so much. I'm, I'm telling you, they're, they're, they're going to make a run with Cam Taylor-Britt. They're going to push this guy in the forefront. Yeah.
3: All right. Well, All right. last question from the mailbag, and and Dave, I think we're ready for the parting shots after that. But this one, this is a question from Nick Wolf, and uh, he, I know he follows us on our Instagram page at Go Big Redcast. and he said. So last season, I made up in my mind that the song Riding the Storm Out by Ario Speedwagon is a pretty good theme song for Nebraska football these days. Anytime I hear that song, I think of Frost and the team. I'm wondering your, what your guys' thoughts are on this. Also, if each of you could think of a theme song for the team as of late, what would it be? Mac, I, I'm going to start with you. You're kind of our musical director. First off, I mean, what are your thoughts on Riding the Storm Out? And second off, if if it's not
2: that song, what would be the song that you would want uh, to kind of be the theme for the team first off i love Ario Speedwagon, <laughs> and that song is legit and it does encapsulate a lot of what we've been feeling um i was gonna go with like a david lee murphy like a dust on the bottle Jeez, but don't let it right. fool you with what's inside because that's how i feel like the program is right now we're a little dusty and uh-huh. we still got some goodness on the inside just wait, you know that once you open that thing up and take a swig, you're going to be blown away with what's inside. Those are my hopes. So I'm going. Okay. I'm I'm kind of keeping it country because Garth Brooks is coming to town. Sure, that makes and sense. And the Thunder Rolls seems, you know, too obvious. But I'm going. I'm going Dust on the Bottle. All right, Boomer. How about you? Man, I guess over the
4: the course of the podcast and you know last decade or so here, you know, I you go know, something like Everybody Hurts with REM or. <laughs> <laughs> heaven knows i'm miserable now from the smiths you know something like that has sadly been appropriate damn you uh, boomer yep th- there's always room to to look on the bright side in spring so i can't believe but, you didn't go with a cure or somebody else more i depressing. thought about that but
0: i thought i'd mix it up a little so, yeah.
3: dave how about you
0: i have no idea how to follow that <laughs> um yeah I, I i i got nothing i have no idea well,
3: Dave, you you got me onto YouTube. How about I
2: still haven't found what I'm looking for but YouTube? Well, I was going to say exotic, one would be but... nice, actually. That's I, Dave like got to me.
3: Hear. Dave got me onto YouTube decades ago, and my favorite song from them, unfortunately, is a horrible word for Nebraska the last decade. But bad from YouTube is my favorite song from them, and that would probably represent Nebraska. Unfortunately, it's <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> unfortunately, but regardless. I'm very optimistic. Is there an optimistic U2 song, Dave, a title? Oh, there's even <laughs> better than the real thing. There you go. Uh, even better than the real thing.
2: That is uh, okay. Husker football right. coming up here. You know, in the next. If I was going to pick, I'm an Oasis guy. I'm trying to think <laughs> if I was I was keeping it purely away. Oh, Wonder Live Forever, man, Champagne Super. I'm going to have to get back to him on Some that. Some might say. Some yeah, might say. We'd have to think. Cast No too. Shadow. I, I mean, I don't know. We should really listen to some Oasis, by the way. But. I, we might after this.
0: All right, guys. Great stuff there. Um, let's get out of here with some parting shots before it's too late. Honky,
3: take it away. Uh, just, I only have one tonight. Uh, the Nebraska football road race this year has been scheduled in honor of the late Andy Hoffman. Uh, to honor and remember Andy, the race will be held in person on Sunday, June 20th, which, yes, is Father's Day. I think that's amazing. That's a it's a great tribute there. Uh, it will include a five K race and a one mile one fun run that starts and finish lines are in front of Memorial stadium. All proceeds from the race will be donated to the team. Jack power five pediatric brain tumor program at UNMC and children's hospital and medical center. You can register for either race at huskers.com slash road race. And the uh, online registration closes on Saturday, June 19th. Redcasters, support this cause we we're huge supporters of team jack to begin with but my goodness it's even more important now and uh absolutely that to support the honor of uh andy hoffman uh, uh just a great thing absolutely great job there honk uh boomer
4: well as uh loyal listeners know the outside of uh, husker sports the uh, great passion of the red cast is of course pro wrestling and i just had a couple of uh kind of sadder news to to note this week uh couple of wrestlers have uh, passed away or fallen on hard times. Uh, first was uh, Don Kernodle, uh, the pride of the Carolinas. He was a classic wrestler, a favorite of mine from the early 80s, mid-Atlantic Crockett Territories, tag team partners with uh, Sergeant Slaughter, uh, cowboy Bob Orton, and then uh, he was the great American turncoat that associated himself with Ivan and later Nikita Koloff, and no one could give a good heel promo and fondle a tag team belt (laughs) the way Don could, and uh, he passed away (laughs) earlier this week. And uh, I'm a few weeks late to this article, but I saw today uh, more unfortunate news with uh, Steve Mongo McMichaels, former uh, Chicago Bears player and later WCW athlete. I just read that he's suffering from uh, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and come down to a fairly, fairly severe case of that, and yeah, you know there's nothing good to say when you're diagnosed yeah. with that and yeah it sounds like hitting him hard but uh you know he's trying to be optimistic and you know we're thinking of you yeah, enjoyed your work as a bear and and, and as a wrestler so
3: mm. yeah and I read the thing with McMichael and I know his situation I mean he's pretty much quit public life now because of it which is that's awful you are our wrestling specialist and uh, anytime we can, I always want to throw this out there. What is the uh, the hashtag that we'd like to throw out there with uh, the Baron Von Raschke? Is that correct? Uh, yes, the- yeah, Baron Von Raschke. Yeah, induct the Baron. Yeah,
4: he, he is not in the uh, Nebraska University Sports Hall of Fame. He actually was a Collegiate wrestler here and was on Can the, you give uh, a little
3: bit, just give a little brief history and, and everything about yeah, him? Yeah, I'm
4: sure I've done it before, but I can give you another snap. Uh, sure. He was actually a noted high school wrestler out of Omaha and played, I think it was in Omaha North as well, in football and won you know various state titles there. And he was a heavyweight wrestler here at the University of Nebraska and won the Big 8 championship in his time here. Uh, he would have been on, gone on onto the Olympics, but got injured and fortunately just like a few months before the Olympics and then wrestled on, I think, uh, some Army uh, Army teams, I believe, as well. You know, well, well-respected amateur. Um, I think he tried out for the football team, played on that for a year or two, but focused mm-hmm. primarily on on wrestling in Nebraska. And this whatever. would have been what, like the
3: '50s, '60s kind of time. Yeah,
4: time? I'd I'd have to grab the numbers. I don't have them right in front of me, but yeah, I forget when he was here. And then afterwards, he just kind of transitioned into the a pro wrestling career. He's the kind of guy that when he was. 28 coming out of college he looked like a 50 year old evil german and when he was (laughs) you know 60 years old he looked like a 50 year old evil german he just kind of yeah yeah, catered into this the bald evil you know (laughs) german post-world war ii guy yeah with the claw and and seen him for years and for some reason we just don't recognize him he had a great long pro wrestling career he wrestled for decades and he's still alive and uh, living in minnesota you'll see him pop up in news stories every now and then he's always spoke well of his time here and Every so often I've emailed the university and they say, Oh, we'll add them to the consideration list. And it's never happened yet. So if any of you have a good poll more than I do, cause I'm sure they blocked my emails by now.
3: But, uh, <laughs> do what you hashtag, can, folks,
4: let's induct. Yeah. Hashtag induct
2: the Baron. There you go. Bless your heart boomer. Yeah. All right. Well, Mac, yeah. Top that. Uh, well, I don't have anything to top that. My, uh, my party shot is more of a request to Husker nation. Uh, Uh, Me and my family are going to be moving into our uh, house here in the early part of June. And part of my vision for this new journey in life is to create kind of carve out a little bit of a Husker garage, you know, possibly a floating studio in the garage itself. (laughs) But I would love to see from our Redcasters out there pictures of You know, like what they've done for their Husker rooms, for their Husker garages, anything like that, anything you could post to kind of give me some inspiration, maybe a little bit direction. You know, I want to keep it tasteful, but at the same time, I want to have a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure poster up. So I'm like somewhere in that blend, you know, between tasteful and badass. That's that's what I'm looking for. So shoot me with something. Give me some ideas. Obviously, you know, I'm crafty. You saw the helmet work that I've done, which was Uh, great. It's probably singly after my children. Um, (laughs) The best thing I've ever done. I look at it every day. It gives me so much satisfaction. I can't even begin to tell you about it. So so something along those lines, Redcasters. I know I'm going to paint part of my my yard at a big red in, obviously, you uh, know, and if I can find field turf, I'm going to replace what existing turf I have for that. So, I mean, no boring suggestions like some really out of the box thinking hit me up
0: <laughs> all right good stuff you know hawk i thought we were really on schedule tonight with this show we were just flying through <laughs> and then like you know two hours later here we are um
3: yeah it's like every week <laughs> yeah exactly
0: well for this we'll week, never learn let's <laughs> call that a go big, Redcast. big red cast boy we gbr